3: news radio studios in midtown manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show brian kilmeade
1: Everyone, Brian Kilmeade here. So glad you're here. We've got a big hour coming your way. Always love talking to Dr. Ben Carson. He'll be up shortly. Then we got Rich Lowry coming your way and Skip Bedell. If you want to know why that water you're drinking might not be healthy, what's going on? Uh, if you want to know how to fix anything, remember, catch a contractor with the great Adam Carolla. Skip Bedell, you see him all over the channel, be with us answering all your questions. And, of course, we'll take for your phone calls. We're watching all the breaking news coming out of NATO. We're seeing what's going to happen today with some huge hearings. So before we go any further, let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three.
1: Number
4: three. Christopher Wray, his primary objective should have been his number one goal to restore integrity and credibility. To the FBI, he's done the exact opposite.
1: Uh, that is Senator Ron Johnson into the lion's den. FBI Director Chris Ray goes before the House Judiciary Committee as the Hunter investigation moves on and his critical His critical, I guess, critics of House Judiciary Committee gets his indictment unsealed while on the lam.
2: Number two.
5: I think the way to challenge President Trump is to make the debate stage and then be very specific in the questions you want him to hold him account for.
1: Kellyanne Conway weighing in with us yesterday. 2024, new polls in and Trump emerges stronger than ever. With Vivek on the climb, we talk about the battle and the fear among the media that Trump could be president again.
6: Number one. Ukraine has to meet the same uh, standards that every other uh, NATO member does in terms of democratic reform, security sector reform, interoperability, which just means our militaries can work together. Uh, So there are conditions that every country has to make. So the door is wide open uh, for Ukraine.
1: Colin Kahl, the Undersecretary of Defense for uh, Foreign Policy. Consequential NATO summit. The U.S. debates sending coveted attackums to Ukraine that their president is seeking as uh, no blueprint for NATO acceptance is offered to that country. Backdrop, NATO calls out China and they, re- and they respond as war with Russia rages on. So let's start right there. We know this. Uh, Russia is still fighting. And as disjointed as they are, they have dug in over the winter while the, while Bakhmut has been a disaster. They lost so many guys and took the city for about a week. They're about to lose it again. But meanwhile, they sent 136 drones. Uh, they have uh, 131 of them were from Iran. They had 26 of the 28 uh, Russian uh, rockets were knocked out of the sky by the Patriot missile system. More weapons coming from Germany. More weapons coming from France. They pledged to provide the long-range missile systems. is in this story, ATACOMs, according to two U.S. sources and one European source, are thought to be en route or possibly en route to Ukraine. What makes that significant? Uh, they're the best, and they've been around since the 80s. We rarely use them, only have 4,000. But the thought is if we gave them to Ukraine and they got angry or they were not dependable and they shot into Russia, that might change the calculus here. But they pretty much have been very trustworthy to the Ukrainians, done exactly what they said they were going to do, and being that they need the long-range missiles as they wait for any type of F-15s and 16s as training won't start until the fall – This could be a game changer that they need to make the counteroffensive work. Why does the counteroffensive need to work? Not only are we pulling for Ukraine, there's a lot of Republicans listening right now and some Democrats who want us to stop financing this and just say, let's push for peace. Can't push for peace. Not when another country refuses to leave your country and owns 20% of it, in my view. That's the issue. So Ukraine's not happy. There's no blueprint to joining. I don't think it's that big a deal. They're getting weapons. Meanwhile, the president of the United States took off last night rather than go to dinner. Said he was tired after working four straight days. Really? You work four days? I saw you over the weekend without a shirt on. I know I can't unsee it. And without a shirt on on the beach wrestling with a lawn chair. It's embarrassing to watch him be led around by the king. To see him shuffle through with meeting these leaders. To see the CBS story that says how the leaders enjoy the grandfatherly like advice and wisdom from the president. Maybe that's the case. It's just we don't see it here. Cut five. Marco Rubio.
5: Imagine right now if you are a Communist Party of China leader sitting in Beijing. Because you read and you watch the press. You see all of these things. So here's what you've seen over the weekend. Cocaine was found at the White House. Then the president, you know, had this fight with a, with a beach chair uh, over there. And he just looked like he could barely move. Then he goes to London and embarrasses himself. Uh, and then the report tonight. And you add to that all the other things that have happened.
1: And he goes on. So you add to all those things that will happen, and it, the appearances matter. So is he going to be dexterous enough in any way to defend us foreign policy-wise and to stop China? And does he comes out and blurts out, they're out of ammo. That's why we're sending cluster bombs. Absolutely ridiculous. If Trump did that, they'd say, man, this rookie on the world stage continues to embarrass the country. But some just gloss over that. I don't. Ukraine's not happy to a degree, but they're for, they know they can't go too far. Because we are their weapon supplier. Meanwhile, something else, some drama is going to be taking place, and we'll dip in and out of it throughout the day, and that's Christopher Ray. Christopher Wray will go to Capitol Hill and testify for the first time since the Durham report came out, and other revelations have come forward about what they've been doing from the pandemic to the Catholic Church uh, to playing the huge role in the Twitter files on down. So Christopher Ray is going to come out and either say, I knew nothing about all this, including having the laptop be verified by the FBI in the fall of 2019 when William Barr was the attorney general and the President Trump was President Trump. That's huge news. Either he's going to say, I didn't know. That means the lower lower levels did not tell him, which is disturbing. Or he's going to come out and say, I did know. And I thought I'd keep it quiet because they want to play a role in the election, which means you played a role in the election. So that's pretty crazy, I thought. And those are some of the questions I think will be coming up. The other thing that came up too is the Hunter Biden investigation. So we want to get David Weiss and find out what he was able to charge Hunter with and who actually did the charging. And by the way, when it comes to uh when it comes to witnesses and whistleblowers, one main whistleblower suddenly got charges filed, unsealed, on him since twenty twenty two, but unsealed yesterday. And who is this guy? This is the guy that did business deals with Hunter in China with the same company, CEFC, is being charged by working as a foreign agent, not registered. Well, isn't that interesting? Not registered, that's fine. His name is Gal Luft. Was Hunter registered? Did he get any charges? Do we know any details about his deal? A 58-page indictment about this guy. They say that he worked for China. Really? Okay. Okay. Then they said he was told to get a, a, a Trump official. He got James Woolsey. James Woolsey was CIA director. He was with Trump on a transition team and resigned before the transition could even take place. So maybe in the nonprofit think tank, which James Woolsey was co-head of, he has a counter narrative for that. There's a lot of questions that should come up, including what happens to whistleblowers. They don't get promotions. They don't get raises. A lot of them get fired. That's got to stop. Kevin McCarthy sees the disparity. Cut 22.
7: Why so
5: has said he can't talk about because it's an ongoing investigation?
0: Well, he's going to have to. I I think you cannot
1: sit back and hide behind and have an attorney general say one thing. You say something else in private. What do you have to hide? Wouldn't you, first and foremost, why would you wait so long to respond even? If you knew this was a question, if you knew because of the attorney that you were, because you worked for the attorney general and others, and that it would rise to such a constitutional
5: question, why would you step out the first day and say, i got nothing to hide. Let's talk about what was said.
1: Yeah, and that was him in the halls yesterday. And David Weiss does not, you know, what he's saying does not add up. I could charge. I never asked for special prosecutor status. Go, uh, you know, Shapley, Gary Shapley says he absolutely did. And I emailed people in real time. Right after I got back to my office and said, is that what you understand? He said, and they said, yes. So let's get them both testifying. A lot of people come up to me and they're impatient. And before I go to break, I don't want to take too much time away from uh, Dr. Ben Carson. I want you to hear what James Comer said yesterday to Brett on that. Cut 23. Most investigations hit a brick wall, and I think we're moving at at the fastest pace that I ever recall. Uh, in history of congressional investigations look we've already proven in 5 months what the IRS whistleblower said took the IRS 5 years to prove in fact i'll go a little further we proved more we knew about more shell companies now i believe the whistleblowers at the IRS would have found the extra shell companies but they were told to stand down by the department of justice i'm having to fight the department of justice i'm having to fight the fbi i'm having to fight the the liberal media i'm having to fight the democrats on the house oversight committee but yet we're we We have still been successful in producing bank records that were subpoenaed. That is true. And he's fighting a lot of people to getting impatient, too. So James Comer's got a tough job. Trey Garrity knows all about it. But I think he's doing a very methodical, explainable job. But you can't just rush to the end. The people say, well, where's the where's the crime? Calm down. He just got there. February first is the first time he actually got the job because there was such problems. I think you may have heard getting a speaker. So when we come back, Dr. Penn Carson, we'll talk about the, uh, the, we'll talk about what's going on at the at Supreme Court. Talk about some key decisions that have been handed down. That is part of his legacy and the Trump legacy. And talk about what he thinks on the GOP field. After all, he was a part of it in 2016. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade
2: shows. So glad you're here.
3: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmead.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail—from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
3: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't agree with Republicans who say that there should be laws in the state banning this stuff for minors. Because in the end, Brian, again, it should be a parental decision. I'm not a big government Republican. And sometimes what I fear about Governor DeSantis is that he's becoming a bit of a big government Republican. I don't want the government in the middle of our lives in any way. I don't want any of these folks making decisions that families should be making around their kitchen table.
1: On that, of course, is Governor Christie talking yesterday about uh, gender-affirming care banning it in certain states like Florida and in uh, and in uh, Georgia and maybe Kentucky. Uh, joining us now is Dr. Ben Carson, the 17th secretary of, uh, of HHS uh, and uh, uh, I should say of HUD and founder of the American Cornerstone Institute and author of A Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confused, uh, Confusing Present and Hopeful Future of Race in America. Uh, Dr. Carson, welcome back. Well, thank you, Brian. It's always good to be with you. Because of what your administration was doing, which you played a key role in, uh, the Supreme Court's gotten conservative. And they push back on affirmative action. And they're pushing back on this uh, gender certainty and fluidity. And a lot of governors are pushing back on what they're teaching in these schools about kids picking their gender. But Governor Christie comes out and says, listen, that's not what we should be doing. Where do you stand?
8: Well, First of all, recognizing how this nation was formed and why it was formed, people wanted to get away from situations where you had the government dictating and mandating how you had to live, what you had to do, and what you could say and when you could say it. And we're gradually allowing all those things to be reintroduced into our society. And the only entity that can stop it is we the people. It's not gonna be stopped by the government, Because governments do what governments do. Our founders studied every government that ever existed in the world. They saw they all did the same thing, grew, infiltrated, and dominated. And that's what our government is trying to do right now. And it's up to we, the people, to understand how our government works and the role that we play in it. And pushback is absolutely critical and necessary. Legislatively? So
1: if if it was Governor Carson, would you say, listen, we're going to ban – keeping parents in the dark when it comes to gender-affirming?
8: Parents have a right. There's a reason that, that children have parents. It's because children are young, their brains are immature, they're very impressionable and suggestible and vulnerable. And I think we do have a responsibility to protect them in those situations. Interesting. Absolutely.
1: Uh, what about how do you feel about affirmative action? And now it's a, more of a level playing field when it comes to these elite colleges.
8: Well, I was very happy with the affirmative action uh, decision. You know, 20 years ago, I wrote an a opinion piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal called Compassionate Action. And I said, you know, things should not ever be race based on race. But if you want to look at where somebody came from and the things that they've overcome, I don't have any problem with that. But that shouldn't be based on race. That needs to be based on circumstances. And we should never put people in a position uh, that they're not qualified for under any circumstances because that hurts them.
1: Understood. Uh, And we'll see what happens. A lot of people walk around the University of Pennsylvania, these elite colleges, and they felt – if they were a minority, people are looking at me. I only got in because of affirmative action. A lot of them had the 101, point, 101 grade point average, had the great SAT scores, and belonged there. But just the thought of affirmative action made people think that they got there a different way. Is that, is that an issue?
8: Uh, of course it is. And, you know, what we have to do is look at this thing historically. There was a time in America where people actually thought that black people were inferior, that they were not capable of doing certain things on an intellectual basis. And, you know, it was important to open avenues so that they could show that that was not the case. That has been proven time and time again. Only Neanderthals think that anymore. So we don't have to continue with things that were may be helpful at some point in time to open a door. Understood. And that's, that, that's, that's where the, the rubber meets the road.
1: All right, let's, uh, let's talk about the horse race. And so far on the GOP side, you were there in 2016. Uh, this is a very deep field like you guys had. You had 17. They got about 12, probably seven legitimate uh, contenders. But right now it's Donald Trump by 20, 30 points. Uh, Ron DeSantis is dipping. Vivek is coming up, but they're all in and around single digits. How do you explain Trump's strength, and does he have your support?
8: Well, you know, he he has demonstrated uh, that he is very capable of the kind of leadership that is necessary, and things were much better uh, when he was in the, the uh, White House. So, uh, you know, I believe that the system that we have where people have a chance to tell what they believe in and, and why they think they should, um, you know, have a certain office is a legitimate system. I don't think we should ever shut that down. But let the system play out. Here's and what, and,
1: uh, and so you still don't know. You, you, you still haven't endorsed anybody.
8: You know, I, I think Donald Trump would be a tremendous president. Uh, he already has proven that he is. But I think we should listen to everybody.
1: I want you to hear what Chris Christie said yesterday. Cut 14.
8: If that's where we end up,
9: it's a sad state of American politics to have two candidates combined at 160 years old um, to lead the strongest, freest, richest, most powerful country in the world.
8: That's why I'm in this race. Right. Because I want to. So that's why
1: he says he's in the race. What's your reaction to that, Dr. Carson?
8: Well, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the age. Uh, the chronological age, it's the physiological age. You know, there, there are some people who are 50 or 60 years old and they act like they're a hundred. And there are some who are a hundred who act like they're 50 or 60. Uh, you know, we have to be able to look at that. There are some people in the Senate and in the House who are older than Joe Biden. That's a good point. Uh, but they're they're spry, they're quick. Like Senator
1: Grassley uh, and like you. Dr. Ben Corson, thanks so much. Always great to talk to you, sir. You
8: too. Thanks, Brian.
1: All right, we come back. Rich Lowry of the National Review, then Skip Bedell. Everything you need to know.
3: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
10: No, I'm not worried. I'm being smart. I mean, we have raised between our campaign and supporting organizations $34 million. A lot of others are spending millions of dollars to hit each other. This is not the time to be spending money. We're not spending any. That's why you're not seeing big movement in the polls. We know you do it when you count. I'm an accountant. I'm not a lawyer. It's all about benchmarks. It's all about goals. It's all about not peaking early. And at the end of the day, we just finished the North Country in New Hampshire.
1: And that was uh, Governor Nikki Haley talking about the fact that they got about raised about 15 million, 34 million overall. She says, and they're still trailing. They're still in single digits, but she says she's in New Hampshire, in Iowa, making progress. She said the New Hampshire way, uh, doing it uh, face by face to face, shaking a lot of hands. Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, author of the Case for Nationalism, uh, he. Uh, wants to talk about Ben and Jerry's, and we'll get to your column, which is great. But I do want to get to the horse race, which is now. Nikki Haley, do you think on some level they got to be discouraged?
6: Yeah, but, you know, the thing about what she was saying you could have asked Rick Santorum the, the same question when he ended up winning Iowa and what, what was it, 12 or, or Huckabee when he ended up winning it in, in 08, you know, any time six months before Iowa and, and they would have said, you know, a version of the same thing. It would have sounded just as tinny and, and unconvincing as what Nikki Haley was saying and then they, they ended up popping. So usually when candidates are saying what she says, it's not true and it very well might probably isn't true with her, but then you you never know. Um, so uh it, the, the race is obviously it's been defined by Trump um, in a huge way. He's incredibly dominant, and um, DeSantis, uh, I, you know, stall, which has been the, the word that a lot of people have used the last week or so, is correct. You know, he hasn't sunk to, to nowhere. He's not back with the rest of the field, but he's a, a real distant second, and then, then everyone else hasn't shown much, uh, um, m- much uh, traction. One way or the other.
1: So these two indictments have not hurt Trump. Another one could be coming. I'm reading The Washington Times today, and they say the former president could be a grand jury selection started Tuesday in Fulton County. They're probably going to head towards uh, his role in trying to flip the election in Georgia and try to indict him on that. They probably will. January 6th, why wouldn't Jack Smith go and finish the job? So that could be four indictments. Each time an indictment comes down, these, ca- these candidates disappear, Rich. It doesn't matter if you agree with the indictment or not. Their message gets squelched.
6: Yeah, and it's, it's, attention matters more than what anyone's paying attention to. To you, for that's something Trump's kind of understood his, his whole career. Just, just spell my name right, and it's not as though he doesn't care if you criticize him. He he does. But uh, I was talking to a, a, a Trump Trump aide a couple weeks ago, and he's just like, we just want everyone talking about us, and that's what these indictments do. Now, there's a chance again at the end they, they weigh him down, or people realize, oh, this is kind of hurt him in the general, even if 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 we think he's being treated unfairly, and it'll end up uh, hurting him in the the primary battle. But there, there's zero sign of that so far, and I, we'll see what they get get from Georgia. I just think if you look at that infamous phone call with Brad Raffensperger with kind of a, a lawyer through a lawyer's lens, Trump's not saying go manufacture votes. He's saying, I believe there are you know a couple hundred thousand illegal votes. Just go find the, the number that will let me challenge them legally, and he has three or four lawyers on the line, and at the end of the call, the big takeaway is my lawyers are going to talk to your lawyers, and you tell us how our math is wrong or the way we're evaluating these ballots is wrong. Wrong, and I just I can't I fail to see how that's possibly a crime.
1: Right, uh, I want you to hear. So on the other side, you have uh, you have President Biden just basically wandering through uh, the UK. Uh, you know, he was at Buckingham Palace, just wa- walking around, being led by the king. And then you see the fact that he couldn't even go to dinner last night. He was too tired after four days of work. When we don't, he didn't even work four days. He had the weekend off and was sitting on the beach, was struggling with his lawn chair. And then you wonder how much longer are the Democrats going to realize that this is a tremendous risk if we run him again? Here's Democratic strategist Ken Walling last night, cut 20.
11: There's always going to be prognosticators, especially on the Democratic side. That's what we love to do as Democrats, is wring our hands. Oh, my God, all is lost 15 months away from this election. Calm down. This guy won 8 million more votes than the last guy. It's really tough to take out an incumbent president. He and Kamala Harris did that. He's leading the free world right now on the sidelines of NATO, bringing in Sweden, clearing that uh, entrance into NATO. Now we're a 32-member fighting force against Russian aggression, uh, hopefully keeping them at bay. Uh, from invading another country. So he's doing all the work necessary. He's be- he is the commander-in-chief fighting for us. And, uh, again, we've got 15 more months to adjudicate this. And we'll see who the Republicans put up against us. Is
6: he right? No, and, and and you know, I, I don't know who he is. Um, but I, I'd be kind of shocked if he doesn't believe something totally opposite in, in private. I mean, it's it's all it's clear before our eyes what's happening to Joe Biden. And again, Brian always stipulate. I'm not saying this to be harsh or mean, but he, he's using the the King of England kind of, as a quasi walker. You know, he, he's going to need a walker soon if he doesn't already. A president of the United States can't have a walker, so they're going to trot him out continually and try to pretend it's okay until something uh, terrible. Terrible happens, maybe it never does, and he gets lucky and sort of tiptoes through the raindrops, but it 's likely something just terrible is going to happen. Democrats know this privately. you can see it publicly in the way Gavin Newsom is acting, kind of hovering over his his shoulder. So if I had to guess, I, my prediction might be that, that joe biden 's less likely to be the Democratic nominee at the end of the day than Donald Trump is, just because wow. I think he 's so frail
1: uh, so don 't worry in case of emergency, break the glass and tell Kamala. It's your mm-hmm. turn. Cut 11.
0: Well, the, the only way you could end uh, the
1: war in Ukraine in Oh, I'm sorry. Cut 21.
2: Uh, this issue of transportation is fundamentally about just making sure that people have the ability to get where they need to go. <laughs> it's that basic. But we know the obstacles to that goal can be great.
1: So there you go. So she can handle transportation. <laughs> and... So I mean, that that's the problem. Everything was going to plan except for the degradation in front of our eyes of Joe Biden, and Kamala Harris has not shown any promise.
6: Yeah, I mean, he, he should have picked someone better, but he he limited him, himself by saying it had to be an African American. Woman, And this is what you get. So if if something terrible happens to Joe Biden and he's no longer president before his term ends, you know, she's going to be president. And if it happens, you know, before the, the, uh, you know, August uh, of of next year, before the convention, she'll be the nominee. If If Biden just at some point, he and his family decide, you know, I can't do this. And he says, I'm not going to run again. And you have an open primary. I can't see her winning you know i i think it'll be uh, a number of candidates will get in and she just she totally lacks appeal
1: rich larry with us rich you wrote this column about ben and jerry these clowns come out and speak out and says time for us to give up our land we stole it from the indians a little bit of a problem with that right
6: yeah so i i mean first of all it, it was a catastrophe what happened especially with regard to disease about 90% of the native populations were wiped out but no one in, intended that or realized why it was happening so uh, you know the settlers show up in these shores and places are empty because of that and so are they really stealing the land and then there there you know were legitimate bargains where we where, where we bought stuff but then there, there were terrible things that that we shouldn't be uh, proud of uh, where we did steal the land um, e- either through uh, unfair dealing or through warfare but the Ben and Jerry's view is that these Native Americans were these n- naive uh, totally innocent People who are just occupying the same land for thousands of years, and it's just not true. They're they're warring with one another constantly. Uh, before we showed up, they were um, swapping territory. Before we showed up, so if you really play this game that we have to give the land back, you know, to the Lakota uh, in South Dakota. Well, the Lakota, they they aren't native to South Dakota, they, they showed up there and, and pushed a bunch of other tribes out of the way. So the Lakota have to give it back, and those other tribes push someone else out of the way. They have to give it back, so it becomes a state, daisy chain of nonsense. And, of course, when, you, when you're announcing this on July 4th, the whole point is to, to undermine the legitimacy of uh, the country, and that's what this argument is ultimately about.
1: Well, pretty amazing, too, to know that Ben and Jerry's headquarters is built on Indian land, and they would like it back.
6: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, lead by example, yeah, <laughs> but they so, never
1: do. So give it up. Yeah, Bever. we should be judging people by our t- the times in which they lived, not in the times in which we are. And we can't go back, and this whole push for reparations mm-hmm. is out of control, and Gavin Newsom started it, now can't afford to continue it. We're never going to be able to look forward if we keep looking back, looking for justification in that. So we'll see where it goes. Lastly, NATO expands by two, Finland, Sweden, that's good news. But Ukraine – And Russia, Russia's invasion is the reason we don't have, not only don't we have a Nordstrom two that Joe Biden green lighted, he said it was almost done anyway. Now we don't have a Nordstrom one for one reason, Russia invaded. There was an invasion that he called that didn't stop. The reason why Ukraine didn't have anything because we didn't arm them, Russia invaded. And now Ukraine says, can we get admission? We said not yet, but to a degree we are arming them. How do you view Joe Biden's handling of the backing of Ukraine? Because it's about to become an election year, Rich, and it's going to be a harder sell.
6: Mm Mm-hmm. It's definitely going to be a harder sell. You know, the 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 pattern has been we're not going to give you X because that that would be too prov- provocative. And then six months later, actually we'll give you X and X is fine. And then we give them X and it, and it doesn't change Russian behaviors. Not as though Russia lashes out anew, they will be fighting, yeah, um, you know, a grinding war in Ukraine. So that that just suggests we should have given them everything sooner than we did. And it may be that the golden hour was in the first year of the campaign of the war where if if Ukraine had more wherewithal they they might have been able to push the Russians further back. I fear now we're we're in a kind of grinding stalemate that's just going to drag on and on.
1: the attackers could be coming, and we'll see what happens because the Russians, I think, are an inch deep uh, because they don't have the backup, and they're running out of people. They've already lost 50 percent of their fighting force off the battlefield, including 50,000 dead, which is just unbelievable.
6: Extraordinary, yeah. Yeah.
1: Rich Lowry, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right. When we come back, Skip Adele joins us. Uh, The water you're drinking, uh, what you're doing, uh, and the stuff that could help your summer. All coming your way. Skip Adele, don't move.
3: Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Skip Adell. you see him all over the channel. You saw him with Catch a Contractor originally. Uh, he always wears plaid, and because that just really goes with your persona, and you look good in it. Uh, Skip, if you're watching Fox Station, you recognize Skip just off uh, Fox and Friends. Uh, Skip, great to see you again.
9: Hey, thanks, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. This is your
1: first appearance on Fox. uh, Fox was on Fox News Radio on this show, you know.
9: That's right. So it was about 10 years ago when we were doing a premiere of our upcoming season, I think the third season of Catch a Contractor, which, as you know, was hugely successful. And we came on here to do kind of a publicity tour about the uh, the new premiere
1: and uh, we got to meet with you, man. It was great. Allison uh, dug you out. And you you said could, you couldn't believe how handsome I was, which was a bit of a surprise. It was rough leaving here because <laughs> since <laughs> that day, she compares
9: <laughs> me to you in so many different ways. It's
1: unbelievable. It? Yeah, yeah, some of which we can't talk about. Uh, so uh, the things you do, you'll, do uh, you'll tell me how to camp. You'll show me how to survive. Yeah. One thing you brought up to my attention is, Brian, read this story about what's going on with water and what this study has found about cancer-causing chemicals in the water. That's right. that people are drinking in and cooking with right now.
9: That's right. Yeah, there is a lot of very, very harmful contaminants that are in our water. And, you know, it's no news really, or it's in the news, but it's no secret. These things have been in the news for many, many years, Brian. Things like lead, mercury, arsenic. You know, we heard, heard about it for so many different states where these things went on. Um, and sometimes it, they're big, big news stories. But people don't really, I think, understand just how serious it is. And they think by just filtering the water they drink, yeah. that they're safe from all that Stuff like well, you know what? I only drink bottled water. Um, I have a Brita, or I only, I only, uh, you know, I have a water filter on my refrigerator. I never drink anything from the from the tap. What they don't realize, though, and the really scary fact is that our skin is the largest organ on the human body, and it absorbs everything so we come in contact When you shower, when you bathe. All of those contaminants get absorbed by your skin in a highly concentrated form. It doesn't go through your digestive tract like when you drink it. It goes directly into your bloodstream. And what's even scarier, you breathe in the vapors. The steam goes into your lungs directly into your bloodstream. So what people are not aware of is that they think just by filtering the water they drink, they are safe. But you are not because you get most of those bad things by showering and bathing.
1: So this is what we, we actually did on television, too. U.S. Geological Survey found that 45% of tap water in the U.S., which means shower water, It is estimated to have one or more types of PFAS, known as forever chemicals, in it. Correct. And these are the cancer-causing agents you're talking about.
9: That's right. So just now, they finally have fessed up and have confirmed. We've suspected for decades now that these chemicals cause cancer and so many other illnesses, kidney disease, liver disease. uh, The list goes on and on. But now they've confirmed it, and they're saying that, yes, uh, nearly 50% of American households have these chemicals. I
1: thought it was just the opposite. Get this. Scientists estimate there are 75% chance of these cancer-causing elements being found in rural areas and only 25% in urban areas. Isn't that interesting? I thought it would be the opposite.
9: Well, so here's the thing. So in
1: urban areas,
9: we get our water from the city water, from municipal supply. In rural areas, they don't. They get it from well water. So now they are drinking water that all the agricultural, the pesticides, um, the fertilizers, uh, the industrial oils and things like that have permeated down into the ground. and gets into the well water, and then they are responsible for filtering that stuff out. So when we get it from the municipal water supply, they do a decent job of filtering a lot of those things out, but it's impossible to get it
1: all out. You so have to so filter. what do you, what filter do you recommend?
9: Yeah, so I've done tons of research on it. It's a great question. When I came time to put one in my own home after installing so many different ones, I looked for ones that really could eliminate things like PFAs, things that could eliminate lead and mercury and arsenic and also chlorine people don't realize chlorine is the one contaminant that every single municipal water supply in the country uses to disinfect the water. And it works really well in killing microorganisms and things like that. But also over a long period of time, it's very damaging to our bodies. So when we shower, we absorb all those things along with the chlorine. And if you look up the effects of chlorine over long terms on the human body, it's, it's scary to think that you shower. So when I started learning these things, I'm like, wow, okay, so let me get this straight. Everybody knows you don't drink the water from the tap. Nobody does. Like, you You would never go to a hotel and run your glass underneath the bathroom sink and drink it right you just only drink bottled water but when i found out we get all that stuff in the shower and bathing and you breathe the steam i literally freaked out and i started doing years of research and i found a company that i mean there's a lot of water filter companies out there but the one that i really landed on was this king water filtration and i've told you about it many times they make an amazing water filter it's what i installed in my own home it filters out all of these things, including the chlorine, including the PFAs. And even now they're finding studies on fluoride. Remember when we were kids, we used to chew fluoride tablets. My See dad toothpaste? Yeah, my dad used to give me like, fluor- like Flintstone fluoride <laughs> chewables, right? Now they're finding terrible things with that. So these filters take out all of that. But the most important part is that it doesn't just filter the water you drink. It filters every drop of water that comes into your home. It's right. a whole house. So you can
1: shower. Water. Use the tap. Yeah, you can actually so, use the tap.
9: Uh, yeah. So what you do is you hook this up to the water main. And so when the water comes through, it has to pass through that filter. So even your showerhead, every single faucet in your home has alkaline drinking water, which is the best quality drinking water you can get because it has that pH balance to it. It eliminates all those bad things, including the PFAs, which now we're finding really is far worse than we thought. Responsible well, for so many sicknesses. You
1: know, also, too, with the dogs. See, I got that, I got that uh, King water. Because yes. I don't want to change the filter. I always forget how to change the filter. You don't have to change the filter with it.
9: That's a great point, man. Right. That, that's also the reason why it showed up. And I'm that. not
1: handy like Skip and yeah.
9: <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? A lot of people, listen, it, it's a cost factor too. If you got to be changing the filters all the time, or many systems require that you add salt, um, this is a system that's completely maintenance-free. That's free. system
1: I had. And you know what's yeah. good
9: for the dogs?
1: Yeah. Because got to go, you fill them up with the tap water. They're not going to complain. That's right. They're just going to get cancer and let you, no, let you don't, screw don't, it out.
9: you got to only give them filtered water. That's man. what I mean. Yeah. Skip. yeah. So go to skipadel.com. Skipadel.com and check out kingwaterfiltration.com. They have an amazing, oh, they have yeah. a new product out this Freedom Filter. It's mind blowing.
1: All right. I got four items yes. from Father's Day All right. from skipadel.com. Yeah. I'm like, guys, you realize I host Fox and Friends? I know this stuff. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm not kidding.
3: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: Hi, boy. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from 48th and 6th in midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. We're watching the events take place in uh, in Lithuania, where the NATO conference is, is going on. And the President of the United States kind of uh, brought his way, made some remarks about Ukraine eventually becoming a member of NATO. Vladimir Zelensky is speaking right now. We'll bring back some of those comments. He's talking about how grateful he is, but how tough the fight is against Russia. And one point that that he has, and I thoroughly believe, and maybe you don't, and I respect that, but I don't understand why you wouldn't, and that is that they are fighting our enemy, and all they want is the arms. They don't want any Americans. They just want the arms, the advice, okay, the satellite knowledge, I get it. But if you're going to give them the weapons that you eventually gave them, can you imagine if you just gave them what they needed right away and they have to go and beg for it diplomatically? And now we're seeing that France and U.K. are beating us to a lapunch punch and Germany, even though we have given more, but they are giving more of the weapons needed to shape this battlefield. And we hope they make some real progress. And think about Zelensky. Whatever you think of him, and I have a high opinion of him, he knows how many people are dying that he knows, that are friends of his, how many families... I I think maybe 60% of the country has been displaced. How many soldiers have died? How many civilians have been targeted? How many people, kids going to school have been uh, slaughtered? And yet he's got to say, hey, guys, all I want is the arms. We've been invaded for no reason because this lunatic in Russia thinks they should be part of their country. Joining us now, a man that needs no education on this. Uh, Jason Riley of The Wall Street Journal, columnist, Manhattan Institute senior fellow, Fox News contributor. Jason, welcome back.
7: Good morning, Brian.
1: Jason, I'm I'm seeing Zelensky and the president speak right now, and there's a big story in CBS today that on CBS.com, CBS CBS News, talking about how the grandfatherly attitude and approach is really appreciated by European allies. My goodness, he looks like he's falling asleep talking. There's no strength in timber in his voice. But uh, where do you stand?
7: Well, I, I agree with, with what you just said, largely, that um, they are fighting our enemy. Uh, they need the weapons. Uh, it is in our national interest um, that, that Putin and Russia uh, do not rebuild the Russian Empire and that this aggression be checked because it won't stop with Ukraine. And also our other enemies are watching this. China, for instance, is watching this. Iran is watching this. And they're seeing uh, uh, how far, how far we, we let Putin go. And they'll take signals from that, and we don't want that to happen. And as you said, you know, they're not asking for troops; they're asking for weapons. We have them. Other nations in the West have them, and I think it's in our interest and the West's interest to help Ukraine.
1: I would think so. And the getting membership eventually, also, it's a chip, a bargaining chip. When you talk to Russia, get out of the country, and maybe you know we won't give, make them a full-fledged member of NATO. That could be something used. But when when the pre when the former president comes out and says. I can end this in one day. He's really saying, uh, he's really saying, okay, uh, I think uh, Russia wins. They get to keep what they got, which is the exact wrong message. Here's what Mike Pence said about that, Cut 11.
4: Well, the the only way
0: you could end uh, the war in Ukraine in 24 hours would be by giving Vladimir Putin what he wants. Uh, And that's the last thing uh, the United States should ever call upon Ukraine to do. I think there's no more effective message. To, con- to restrain China's military ambitions in the Asia Pacific, specifically toward Taiwan, than giving Ukraine what they need to repel that act uh, of unprovoked Russian aggression in Ukraine.
1: In a time in which a lot of the Republicans agree they don't agree on this, Nikki Haley says make him a member of NATO. Uh, Governor DeSantis said it's a border dispute. He's amended that since. Mike Pence, you know where he just stands. He just told you. And Donald Trump wants to just end this now and is against the cluster bombs. Where does Jason Riley stand?
7: I, I think Pence has it right. I mean, again, you have to look at the big picture here. You, you don't want a world in which China is the dominant power in the, in the Asia-Pacific. And, and Russia is the dominant par- power in Eastern Europe, um, and Iran is the dominant power in the Middle East. You don't want that world, Brian. Nobody wants that world. And that is what will happen if Putin's aggression goes unchecked, or that is what is much more likely to happen if Putin's aggression goes unchecked. Whereas if we do check it, uh, the other uh, baddies in the world will take note of that. They, they they will know that the U.S. will not stand for it. And and so we've got to make an example, I think, out of Putin. And 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 the only way, as, as Pence said, to end this in a day would be to give Putin everything right. he wants, and that would be disastrous. I know. That's
1: the only way he can do it in 24 hours unless he convinces Putin just to pull out. Uh, what a disaster it's been for them. There's no question they've lost 200,000-plus, 50,000 minimum dead. Uh, the sanctions, even though they're not as comprehensive as we thought – have been paying a role they've been they have had the oil and gas their best customers in western europe have just signed off on their oil and gas so it's been a disastrous move for him obviously a threat on his leadership we also are watching the hearings on capitol hill where uh, jim jordan is opening up the oversight hearings the judiciary hearings uh, with the uh, with christopher ray uh, the fbi director so we're talking to jason riley about that we'll bring you any of the highlights Jason, no doubt about it. Supreme Court has been a stalwart for conservative causes. And when it came to affirmative action, as predicted, uh, affirmative action will not be uh, was no longer be the law of the land when it comes to uh, college institutions. How do you feel about that?
7: Oh, I've, I've been waiting for this day for a very, very long time. I think it's um, it's a decision that was long, long overdue, and it's correcting something that the court got wrong back in 1978 when it when it blessed. Uh, uh, racial preferences in higher education. Um, you know, it took them uh, uh, more than a half century to uh, to overrule the Plessy decision from 1896 in 1954 with Brown versus Board of Education. This one only took about uh, 46 years. So maybe they're making they're making progress, Brian. But I'm very very happy to see this handed out. Not only because it's obviously unconstitutional and unfair to discriminate by race, but because um, these Policies are, have been put forward to help uh, the black underclass in particular. And we know now from 50 years of doing this that they don't help. So they're not only unconstitutional, they're unhelpful. They're, they're, they're actually hurting the intended beneficiaries. And so I'm, I'm glad to see them go.
1: Here's what Gavin Newsom said, because it, it has uh, been taken out of, in California, and this has been the result according to him. For those that are wondering what's going to happen in their states, they only have to look to California to know exactly what's going to happen. You're going to see a significant decline in African-American and Latino admissions in institutions of higher learning. We had a roughly a 50% decline, just shy of 50% decline, within the first three years of Prop 209 at UC Berkeley, UCLA. Just last year,
4: just to underscore the nature of the world we're living in, only about 228. Uh, African-American students were admitted at Berkeley, 7,000 admissions,
1: just 228. So your reaction to what he's found?
7: Oh, I I think that is the the wrong reading of history, and I don't know where where he's getting his numbers from, but there have been a number of academic studies uh, about what happened after uh, the University of California system ended race-based preferences back in the mid-1990s. First of all, before this happened, Uh, black enrollment and graduation rates in the University of California system had been declining. After the state ended race-based preferences in the University of California system, uh, black enrollment not only increased, but so did black graduation rates, and not by a little bit. They increased graduation rates by more than 50 percent, including in the more difficult disciplines of math and science and engineering and so forth. So uh, I don't know where where he's getting his numbers from, because the studies show just the opposite happened. What what California had been doing, Brian, is admitting kids to highly selective institutions who couldn't handle the work, and so they were dropping out at higher rates. So they had more people admitted but higher dropout rates and lower graduation rates. After kids were no longer admitted based on race, but simply admitted based on their ability to handle the work, graduation rates went up for Blacks and Hispanics as well, and again, by more than 50%. So, so what are we trying to do here? What, what is the point of, 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 of you know, flunking out of Berkeley instead of graduating from uh, you know, uh, University of California at San Jose uh, what, you know, or, or UC Davis? Um, that's what we want. We want uh, more graduates, and that is what has happened in the wake of ending— racial preferences, not only in California, but Michigan did something uh, a few years ago that was similar to that, passing a, ban- uh, a ballot initiative that ended racial preferences. And you saw the same thing. So what we see is that these programs are harming their, their intended beneficiaries by mismatching them with schools.
1: Understood. Uh, and then when you talk about uh, when you talk about affirmative action, it's now taking place in the military. If the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff gets his way, General Brown, when he does in fact take over eventually, if he did get confirmed, he's also looking at breaking down. He talked about how he's been a trailblazer and wanted to be the best. But he's when he comes to staffing for fighter pilots, he's going to be looking at color. Listen to this. I didn't want to be the best
4: African American F sixteen pilot. I wanted to be the best F sixteen pilot. I did not want to be provided a, a position of promotion. Uh, based on my background, I want to be, you know, based on the quality of my work. And I think that's uh, the aspect that all of our service members look for is they want a fair opportunity, uh, but they also want to be uh, rewarded for the uh, the
1: performance. But he went on to say, I want 46 percent to be black. And I'm just thinking to myself, doesn't that go against what he uh, just said?
7: Yeah, there does seem to be. Um a little conflict in what he in what he's saying there. You know, I I, I sympathize. I think anybody can sympathize with the sentiment that uh, you know who wants to be the affirmative action hire? Who wants to be the token minority on staff? Uh, anyone with any self dignity doesn't want that. And and, 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 and uh, so I understand where he's coming from. You know, I often think of the uh, the case of Elizabeth Warren, Brian, where people have, have long accused her of trying to use her supposed Native American ancestry to advance her law career. And she's been indignant about that. No, I did not do that. I got where I got based on hard work. And, and any self-respecting person would, would respond the same way. Yet people like Elizabeth Warren still support racial preferences for other groups. And they ask, well, what's going on here? Why, why, why would a black person be any less ashamed of being accused of being a token than you would, Senator Warren? And that's the question I always have for the left.
1: You also wrote a column about... Uh about how many on the left can't comprehend the success of the African American community, and you point to some pretty startling stats. Uh, stats that say, for example, black uh, black employment, not unemployment, black employment rate is only 1.5 percent off the national rate at 60.4 percent, as opposed to 58.9 percent. You said the trend started before the pandemic and has been noticeable for the most of the past year. So you talk to uh, ways in which the back of uh, the, the the gap has been closed. Why does that not give the Democrats a sense of satisfaction?
7: Well, well, first of all, that employment rate you cite is is it's 1.5% off the white employment rate, Brian, not yeah. just the, the oh, average okay. nationally. So it's even My more bad. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it's even yeah. more impressive. And the same with the labor force participation rate. Typically in recent decades, the black labor force participation, so these are people who are either working or looking for a job, that rate uh, for whites has traditionally been higher than it has for blacks. In recent years, that has switched, Brian. The labor force participation rate of blacks right now is slightly higher. Than it's been for whites. And this is this is remarkable. And it really pushes back against this notion that we live in some irredeemably racist society where black people cannot get ahead, that they need special favorable treatment like affirmative action and so forth or quotas or some equity agenda or some woke agenda. push. no, it turns out that what blacks and other low income minorities need are tight labor markets like we had pre-pandemic under the Trump administration, and like we've continued to have post-pandemic. And blacks have been able to take advantage of that and enter these fields and, 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 and increase the labor force participation rate. So that is what blacks need. They don't need special treatment. They need a growing economy and tight labor markets. They don't need a larger welfare state, you know, more food stamps, uh, more welfare programs. No, they need a growing economy and access to the labor
1: market. And you need school choice. How would that oh, benefit the black community more than, than most or the minority community more than most? I'm sorry, I missed that. How would, how would school choice benefit minorities, especially the black community, more than anything else?
7: Because uh, so many black kids, black kids are, 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 are much, much more likely to attend a failing public school. And so what school choice would do, is give them an opportunity to get out of those failing schools and get into better schools, whether they're parochial schools, Catholic schools, private schools. School choice would allow that to happen. And what we know is that there's a strong correlation between uh, getting a decent education and, and having a higher income. And staying out of trouble with the law uh, and and, and avoiding teen pregnancy and drug dependency and so much else, uh, good stuff happens when you have a decent education. Just graduating from high school can significantly reduce your chances of ever being involved with the criminal justice system. So, so getting a good education through school choice would lead to all kinds of better outcomes. And black Americans have the most benefit from school choice, yet the party that claims to champion black Americans is increasingly opposed to school choice. And that's really, really troublesome.
1: You know, the other thing is uh, they're, they're looking back reparations. And we're seeing that that growing throughout the country, writing big checks to a black community, uh, many of which you can't even disseminate if they've been affected by what happened 200 or 150 years ago.
7: Yes, yes. And and the other thing here is why would we expect it to work any more effectively than all these other wealth redistribution schemes that we've tried? You know, since the 1960s uh, under Lyndon Johnson, we've tried this. We've tried redistributing wealth in order to alleviate poverty. It hasn't worked. If, just, if simply sending poor people bigger checks uh, ended poverty, we would have solved it a long time ago, Brian. It doesn't work. And, and that's all reparations would be. It's another huge wealth redistribution uh, program, and I have no expectation that it will be right. any more effective than the last ones.
1: Jason Riley, thanks so much. Always great. Appreciate it. Thank you. When we come back to your calls 866 408 or Write me at BrianKillme Click on comments. I'll get to it. Don't move.
3: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Today, unfortunately, House Republicans will fall well
5: short of that mark. For them, this hearing is little more than performance art. It is an elaborate show designed with only two purposes in mind. To protect
1: Donald Trump from the consequences of his actions and to return him to the White House in the next election. Uh, That is a little of the musings of uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler. and. I hope he doesn't believe what he's saying, because he knows if he's paying attention to all the Twitter files, if he read it, all the Durham report, if he's seen some of the reporting in and around what the FBI has been up to in many cases, he'll know there's a huge problem there. And it might not be a problem that he has to, that just other people have to deal with. And right now we're seeing Christopher Ray read his opening remarks where he's going to pledge uh, at, and praise the great people of the FBI. And I think soon there's fantastic people there. Uh, they talked about how the 750, to 750 task forces, how many investigations are going on, how they're trying to stop the Chinese every minute of every day. And I think they're great. But there's also a bunch of political people out there who went out of their way to make sure the previous four years under the previous administration were not successful and the election would go Hillary Clinton's way. How can you glaze over that was in the dorm report. The fact that they knew the laptop was real and kept it from perhaps William Barr and definitely President Trump. That's not okay. And just because some people do a great job, it doesn't mean people should be allowed to do a terrible, subversive job. We'll find that out today, I hope.
3: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: Hey, we're back. We're watching the FBI director taking his first question from a Republican. Opening statements are all completed. I'll bring you back the highlights. Uh, Michael Johnson was the first to go. give me articulate right to the point. Uh, and we'll see if Christopher Ray has any answers. And everybody knows when you filibuster. Uh, John Warren's uh, in studio, decorated Marine veteran, author of a book that's now out this week, Lead Like a Marine, Run Towards a Challenge, Assemble Your Firearm, and Win Your Next Battle. Uh, John joined in 2005 and was motivated after 9-11. Uh, and the book is not meant to make you necessarily a better Marine, but a better person. Uh, with some leadership skills you can only get if you went to Paris Island. Am I right, John? And Quantico. And Quantico, excuse me. So what were you doing before you signed it?
11: I, I'd been in college. I'd actually been recruited by all of the academies to play basketball, and I said I wasn't interested in that. And then 9-11 happened when I was in school and felt the call to serve like my grandfathers in the Pacific in World War
1: II. Did you uh, play basketball in college?
11: I played at w Washington, Ali. Washington
1: and And what changed after 9-11?
11: I just really felt like the the nation was at a tough time. We had been attacked by al-Qaeda. I wanted revenge. I wanted to do my service, and I thought it was my time to serve like my grandfathers. Why the Marines? The Marines are the best. They're the tip of the spear, and uh, I wanted to serve with them, and I wanted infantry the whole time.
1: Did uh, did your athletic ability help you through um, boot camp?
11: It did. I was at OCS in Quantico. All the officers go to Quantico, but um, I was in pretty good shape at the time.
1: Because you had your degree. I had my degree, so that means you go in as an officer. So you didn't have
11: to go in as an officer, but you but chose. It gave you the
1: options. So right. I went in, and you want infantry.
11: I wanted infantry, and I wanted to lead Marines in combat. I think it's the greatest honor of my life, and I have so much high respect for the military and especially the Marine grunts.
1: The same mount going in as you did, uh, you do now,
11: uh, even more now. I mean, what the Marines do, what the corporal, the sergeant—they're the heart of the Marine Corps. And what they were able to do in combat, intense combat, and especially fighting a counterinsurgency, it's just an, it's an amazing experience, and it's really difficult because one moment you're treating kids, you're handing out soccer balls, you're giving them lollipops, and the next minute an RPG's flying by, and you got to switch, and all of a sudden you're kinetic. And, uh, and, and
1: you know, it's so amazing, and so underappreciated how you guys adapted to the battlefield. First they said the last thing Americans want to do is get involved in urban warfare. Well, guess what you ended up doing. Uh, for how many years and you got great at it and it was not just special forces
11: and one of the things we talk about in the book is do everything for a reason it's one of the best lessons i think we can pass on to all your listeners you know think about outside the box why do you do all these things that you normally do and can they be improved and when we got to iraq things weren't going well in the sunni triangle things weren't going well in ramadi and we totally shifted uh tactics we started doing a census to find out who was living in every house. We started communicating and talking with interpreters, with the people. And ultimately, you have to develop the human intelligence to systematically remove the bad guys, the, the money guys, not just the IED layers. Because most of the IED layers we actually felt sorry for, they're getting paid $50 for an IED to be laid, and they've got to feed their family. So you can kill all of those guys you want. You're not impacting the insurgency. You've got to systematically root them out. And and we did that.
1: All right. Uh, also, John, uh, what you did, too, was cordoned off an entire city. You gave every people ID cards so you know who was coming in and out. And it was amazing what you guys were able to do. And I think with, with the surge in Iraq was underappreciated because a presidency switched. A president thought it was a bad war. And pulled the troops out prematurely. Next thing you know, you had to go back in. And the surge, which was this great success story, got smothered by the uh, uh, by the, the rise of ISIS, there, which you also gone back and
11: destroyed. There, there's nothing worse than fighting hard and bleeding for ground and then having your commander-in-chief give it up. And that's what we did. But, uh, you know, the Marines, we're all about the fight. And we can't, you know, we can't control a lot of decisions above us. So uh, –
1: What would you thought when Afghanistan, when we evacuated Afghanistan the way
11: we did? I think it was a surrender of a country. And I think what we also saw was we had been lied to by politicians and we've been lied to by generals who were in charge of training the Afghan military for two decades. I mean, they all told us, right? Hey, they're improving. The Afghan National Army hundreds of thousands of people. They're great. And, you know, they've got all this gear. And what did they last, 28 minutes against the Taliban? I mean, it
1: was crazy. Right. When we left the air cover and left them alone, they weren't able to do with that American leadership. And, and, and-
11: then you see the incompetence, too. of If you're going to pull out, you can do it much better than the way they did it. I mean, if you and I went to get coffee and we just had – Uh, back of the napkin drawing and sketch of, hey, what should we do in Afghanistan to pull out? It would have gone much better than how it went for them.
1: How about the integrity or lack thereof of releasing your after action report the day of 4th of July weekend when everyone had gone, when there was no scrutiny on it without any fanfare? And the conclusion was we should have thought of worst case scenario. I, I think it
11: shows incompetence, but it also shows a lack of fiduciary duty. All these people, they just serve themselves in office. They're not there to protect the citizens of the United States. They don't care about us. It's all to protect them, and I think it's really criminal almost.
1: Hey, we're speaking with John Warren. you got to pick up his book, Lead Like a Marine, Run Towards a Challenge, assemble your fire, uh, fire team, and win your next battle. So for people that aren't going to go to Paris Island or Quantico, what could we learn from what you now understand and made part of your life?
11: So we wrote the book really to help anybody. Uh, one of the chapters we talk about is just be blunt and direct with people. It's communication. And we find that, you know, except maybe outside of New York, uh, people are not blunt and direct, and it's not good. You don't know where you stand with people. It hurts relationships. And one of the things that we've been successful at doing is just tell everyone where they stand. That applies to your family, your, your marriage, your coaching, you know, the team you're coaching on your kids team. So I think that's very applicable, small unit leadership. We talk about that and decentralized authority. Uh, We talk about eating last, you know, we have a story in there where general Mattis, uh, he came, it was Christmas day. He came on duty at base and relieved one of the young officers to let him go home and eat dinner with his family for Christmas. And uh, right now, I think across the board, we're seeing leaders that eat first. They think it's a privilege to lead with all these perks and it comes at our expense, but they're supposed to be representing us and serving us.
1: Are you talking about politicians? Or are you talking about the Marines?
11: I'm talking, no, I'm definitely not talking about the Marines. I'm talking about politicians. I'm talking about business. I'm talking about religious organizations. I really think we have a failure of leadership across so many institutions in society, and that's why we wrote the book.
1: Do you think that this, uh, some of these concepts, can be brought into everyday uh, life? Is Absolutely. It, There's a term. do so you in think the, parents could benefit from this too?
11: I think parents. I think siblings. I, everyone can benefit from the book.
1: Uh, what did you need to learn before you went in?
11: Well, I think when we went in, you go before you
1: went into. When I went
11: in, I think I had the core values because I was attracted to the Marine Corps. I wanted to serve, and some of the those traits that we find people are successful in, regardless of military or not, are extreme, hardworking, team players. They've got grit and determination, and they have a chip on their shoulder. They want to prove something, and uh, I think I had those characteristics. But the Marine Corps molded me. It toughened me up. Uh, It fortified my grit. And I think uh, it was just an amazing experience leading Marines in intense combat. And I actually learned a lot from them, too. They were a very experienced group when I got there. I was the stereotypical green lieutenant who shows up and says, hey, guys, I'm here to lead you. They had just gotten back from Fallujah. <laughs> so
1: you know, How did you win, their, win them over?
11: I learned to keep my mouth shut until I was actually able to lead them and you got to learn things before you can lead, and I think I did a good job at that.
1: So you got to show some vulnerability, but not too much because you still got to be the leader, right? Uh, you
11: got to crush, crush them sometimes on discipline, but you got to listen to them on tactics, and you gotta, they've got to know, and I think this is applicable to everyone who you lead, they got to know that you love them and that you care about
1: them, and I think all my Marines know that. I think very similar, too. A lot of times a coach was not a great player. And you have these great players doing things you could never do out there. But you you, you got to lead them, and they yeah. could always turn around at any moment. and Go, you could never even you couldn't even get to that ball. Yeah. You would never even have caught that pass.
11: Hey, we talk about Nick Saban in the book, right? He was a defensive back for Kent State, and now he's the greatest coach of all time. Same with Vince Lombardi, right?
1: Right. Well, he was a Fordham. pretty yeah. He was yeah. Fordham, but he was a, he was a pretty good player, but he was not a great player. But looked up to uh, Paul Horning, which is pretty amazing. But yet he, he had to lead him. Um, so when people talk about the American military, which you just mentioned, is the biggest weakness of the Russians, because they have nobody that's allowed to show any initiative, and they don't have commanders on the ground to make decisions. Which means their generals had to come up front, and a lot of them are being killed. I mean, I think they've lost over a hundred generals and. Colonists. Is that amazing to
11: you? It's amazing. You I mean,
1: fought for twenty years in two wars, and you didn't on, have that. On
11: one, on one account, uh, I, I was shocked at how many generals were actually on the front lines i mean compared to our military there's no way in iraq you would have even had 100 generals on the ground so but to lose them all and just the incompetence of the russians in general in ukraine has been staggering i mean how many tanks do you need to line up and lose before you stop sending tanks in a line with no combined arms, no infantry, it's it's really amazing to me.
1: So you're studying that, and you also know what we learned on the fly in 20 years and how we adapted to the battlefield. They say there's over 200,000 casualties, minimum 50,000 dead. Those as I don't want to lose one American, but if you fought for 20 years and those were the numbers, I would think that's extremely high. They fought for 500 days. I mean, they've already – I mean, they said – by far have already
11: exceeded all of their casualties during their Af- you know compared to their Afghanistan time.
1: The biggest disaster in their military history. Absolutely. So when you see that take place, do you think people have to take a step back and understand how resourceful and tremendous this generation which you are a part of warfighters are?
11: I think the the Marines, the military, our men and women in uniform are really unbelievable. They are our greatest asset. I mean, we have great technology, but it really comes down to you've got to take the ground, you've got to bleed for the ground, and that really comes into grit, and we got
1: it. Does it surprise you the Marines are the only branch of the military that's hitting their recruiting goals?
11: You know, the Army missed their recruiting goals by 25%. They're consolidating units. It is unbelievable, but I, I, that really leads to a lot of problems in society, not just the military. I think we're up to, what, 77% of the U.S. youth don't qualify physically anymore for the military, you know, that causes a huge problem. I think all these woke policies in the military, you know, you want to recruit conservative kids like me. I mean, those are the ones that go serve in the military. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of great Democrats in the military, too. I'm not saying that. But these woke extreme policies, that does not help recruiting. That is a deterrent. And that's one of the reasons why the military is missing their recruiting. And that's a national that is a national security
1: issue. They, they right don't there. want these image ends of war fighters. <clears throat> they don't. And, and and that's what people what attracts people to uh to the military. The
11: the image that people want to see who join the Marines is them hoisting the flag on Iwo Jima. That's that's the image that makes people want to go into the Marine Corps. It is not celebrating Pride Month or celebrating a transsexual. It is Amazing military excellence. And that's what we've got to get back to.
1: So Tommy Tomerville, a famous football coach, now senator from Alabama, comes out and says, uh, we're not having anybody's command confirmed, including the commandant of the Marines, until you stop this policy of using taxpayer money to allow men and women in uniform to go to a state in which abortion is legal. So if I was to paraphrase that way, as awkward as I phrase that, how do you feel? Do you think this is... The right cause, but the wrong way to fight it. A lot of people like Senator Thune said, I understand the means, but I I don't like the ways.
11: I personally think the whole story is being framed in the wrong manner. They're framing it on Tommy Tuberville. The issue is the Pentagon. The Pentagon was warned, if you change this policy, this is what's going to happen. And that's what Tuberville told them. And rather than being concerned about our national security and having that as their first priority – They said, no, we're going to make pain for people to go get abortions, which has never been a policy of the military. We're going to make that our first priority. And they changed it. And they're the reason why none of the generals have been confirmed. All they have to do to confirm the generals is remove the policy. And all of those generals will get confirmed. The other thing that could happen is Schumer could have a vote on all these individual generals, But it seems like the Senate is too lazy or they're playing political motives again, and they're choosing not to do that. So I think there are a lot of solutions. I don't think this should focus on Tuberville. I think it should focus on, hey, we need to put national security first, and that starts with the Pentagon.
1: Okay. Uh, listen, uh, we have a few more minutes with John when we come back. Decorated Marine veteran, author of. Lead like a Marine. We'll get some things that you could put into your life when we return. And also, I want you to weigh in on what we should be doing next uh, in Ukraine. Uh, The attackums could be on their way, but we only have 4,000 in our arsenal. Uh, Should that be a reason we think twice about it? you will listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: A few more minutes with John Warren, decorated Marine veteran. His book is, uh, is out called Lead Like a Marine. John, a couple more minutes here as we watch we're watching Chris Ray take some questions and some praise. Uh, the FBI director. In, in Ukraine, it's kind of good news that we added Finland and Sweden to NATO, right? Uh, we can't add Ukraine even if we wanted to. It's against the doctrine. Can't have an active country in a war. Uh, How much more support do you think we should be giving uh, Ukraine?
11: I think it's a complex situation. I think first we have to really think about our own national security. I mean, I'm really concerned about our ammo being so low. I mean, even Biden slipped the other day and said, hey, we're running low on 155 shells. I mean, like running – what he's saying is we're running out of artillery, and that's a scary thing. You know, we're also low on javelins. We've given the anti-tank weapon 13 years' worth of javelins to Ukraine. And we're not we're not producing more to cover that, which is strain. crazy. It I mean, the fact, any, the fact that we're no using them
1: is one thing, but the fact that we're not replacing them at the at a dizzying rate is nuts. It makes no sense. I have a
11: seven, five, and three year old, and I think they would all say, if we produce thirteen years worth, we should produce more. If we give away thirteen years, we should produce more. But we're not doing it. We're short of amphibious assault vehicles or amphibious assault ships, like the mini carriers that hold marine battalions. I mean, China is the greatest national security threat that we've faced in 30 years,
1: and we are not prepared in any way. But uh, but degrading the Russian fighting force and exposing them is in the U.S. interest. I do think
11: it is in the U.S. interest,
1: and that keep that in mind. But I
11: think we can't do that to the extent that we weaken ourselves to where we can't fight our own wars.
1: Attackums? Would you give them the attackums, which are the long-range missiles?
11: Well, I think part of the problem is, I mean, going back to the book, you know blunt and direct communication, President Biden and the uh, um, administration, they cannot tell us what the strategic goals are or what we're going to do. All I hear is, hey, we're going to give them these weapons. We're not going to give them these weapons. And then two months later, what do we do? We give them those weapons. Right. So what's the strategy? How are you making these decisions? Communicate with the American people. I know that's a really hard thing for President Biden,
1: communication, but it's embarrassing, but true. It's really sad. We uh, like a Marine. Some principles for people to take away last minute.
11: Hey, the last chapter, it's called Lead from the Front. It's about one of the greatest Marines I served with, Mike Ouellette. He was a corporal, he was a squad leader in the Nazad district of Afghanistan. He was leading his squad. He took an IED blast that severed both of his legs. And with tourniquets on, he stayed in the fight. He set up his squad. He uh, repelled attacks by 50 to 100 Afghanistan Taliban fighters. He called on his own casualty evacuation report. He called on air support for Cobras to come in and save his Marines, and he refused to be evacuated Mm -hmm. until he was the very last person to leave the battlefield. Those are the Mm -hmm. leaders
1: we need. Absolutely, in every walk of life. Uh, John Warren, pick up his book, Lead Like a Marine. John, thanks for your service. Thank you. It was great to meet you in person. Thanks for Uh, having me. I hope to see you again. Appreciate it. Brian Kilmeade Don't move.
3: news radio studios in midtown manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show brian kilmeade
1: hi everybody welcome to the latest moment to the brian kilmeade show so glad you're here a uh, lot, lot of stuff going on at the same time. NATO's wrapping up their very consequential summit in Lithuania. Uh, Christopher Ray is finally testifying in front of the House Judiciary Committee. Daryl Ice asking questions. Matt Gates came off with a couple of questions. He had opening statements where he talked about the dedication of the FBI agents. And anyone listening right now in the FBI or uh, served in or did serve, and you guys were top quality, you're the 99%, that's great. But to pretend as if they weren't politicized, pretend as if James Comey is not an absolute disgrace and a liar, and to pretend as if Christopher Wray has been a hands-on FBI agent streamlining an agency that definitely needs leadership is just flat-out inaccurate. So uh, hopefully he'll answer a few questions, honestly, but he seems to be more of a politician uh, than law enforcement agent. So before we get to Martha McCallum in 10 minutes, and I'll play you some clips from some of these exchanges, here's the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know. It's Brian's Big 3.
4: Number 3. Christopher Ray his primary objective should have been his number one goal to restore integrity and credibility to the FBI. He's done the exact opposite.
1: Into the lion's den FBI Director Christopher Ray speaking, House Judiciary Committee will give you the latest.
5: Number 2. I think the way to challenge President Trump is to make the debate stage and then be very specific. In the questions you want him to hold him accountable for.
1: That's fine, but he might not be there, Kellyanne. 2024, new polls out, Trump emerging even stronger than ever. Vivek on the climb, slightly down as DeSantis. What will change?
6: Number one Ukraine has to meet the same uh, standards that every other uh, NATO member does in terms of democratic reform, security sector reform interoperability, which just means our militaries can work together. Uh, so there are conditions that every country has to make. So the door is wide open uh, for Ukraine.
1: Colin Kahl, he is the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, consequential NATO summit, U.S. debate, sending uh, coveted attackums to Ukraine. That will be the long-distance weapons that the French are now sending, that we're still considering sending. Uh, backdrop, NATO uh, is calling out China, and China has responded. Russia rages. And we'll continue to talk about that. Uh, meanwhile, I want to bring you the latest with Christopher Ray. He's now taking questions from Daryl Issa. A short time ago, he took additional questions. Here he is defining disinformation.
0: The FBI made the social media platforms pull that information off the Internet if it came from conservative sources. They, they did this under the guise that it was disinformation. Can you, can you define what disinformation is? What I can tell you is that our focus is not on disinformation, broadly speaking. Well, wait a minute. Malign... Yes, it is. Well, wait a minute. Your, can I your, answer the question? You can in a minute. Your star witness said in the litigation, Elvis Chan, who's in charge of this, said they do it on the basis of dif- disinformation. We need, a, we need a definition of what that is. Our focus is on malign foreign disinformation, that is, foreign hostile actors who engage in covert efforts to <laughs> Mr. abuse— Ray. Our social media platforms, which is something that is not seriously in dispute. I have to stop you for time. That's not accurate. You need to read this court opinion because you're in charge of enforcing it.
1: It's unbelievable that he would say that. Uh, Look at Matt Taibbi. Look at what Michael Schellenberger came out with, what the FBI was up to under his reign, a lot of it, for two years. Remember, he was confirmed in 2017. So for two and a half years, the FBI retired inactive, calling up these, uh, we don't know about Twitter, but who knows what's going on with Facebook, probably worse, saying, pull this down, make sure this is not done, make sure this is shadow banned. And we saw it, and they paid a ton of money using our money to do it. So here is Jerry Nadler, who is so embarrassing. As a New Yorker, I'm so embarrassed that he represents any portion of this state. House Republicans have attacked the execution of the search warrant of Mar-a-Lago last August
9: as a, quote, unprecedented raid. Would you consider the execution of the search warrant at
0: Mar-a-Lago a a raid? Uh, I would not call it a raid. I would call it the execution of a lawful search warrant. Can you describe how the search was executed? Well, we had the case team, uh, you know, follow its standard procedure. It has sometimes been described as a SWAT uh, operation. It was not. There was no SWAT involvement. Um, But beyond that, I think I want to be really careful with getting too far into the details now that this case is uh, not only in the hands of a special counsel, but more importantly, in my view, uh, in front of the court.
1: Oh, stop being careful. Are you ridiculous? Of course it was a raid. Did you get permission for doing it? No, you got a warrant. Did you make sure that Trump wasn't there? Absolutely. You waited for him to move uh, to his New Jersey location. You went in there without them knowing, uh, and you told all his lawyers to stand back. You wouldn't let anyone go. Uh, you, you basically took the camera footage, too. So you could decide out there if Trump should have just handed over the documents. would have been certainly a lot easier. Uh, but to get to the point where you're raiding an ex-president's resort, which was his home, and knowing the fallout that was going to happen, not even telling the local FBI bureau that you were doing it is a little nuts to me. Even in retrospect, so Christopher Wray, not a raid, okay, you you really support it? Should have pushed back in the DOJ and say, listen, I'm trying to depoliticize this bureau. The last thing I need is to raid President Trump. They already think I'm anti-Trump. The last thing I had to do is raid his place. Incredible. And and by the way, I want to bring you to Ron Johnson just while we're on the FBI. Ron Johnson basically said what well, we all know. The FBI director was supposed to straighten out a... D- a, a wrecked bureau There was that James Comey, that arrogant, uh, that arrogant six-foot-nine behemoth, left it a total mess. Cut 26.
4: Christopher Wray, his primary objective should have been his number one goal to restore integrity and credibility of the FBI. He's done the exact opposite. Uh, you know, on a personal note, I still would like to know who directed the FBI briefing of Senator Grassley and I that was laid leaked to the press to smear me, uh, but also tried to, to interfere in our investigation from Hunter Biden back in August of 2020. It's been three years. We've written three public letters. I've asked him an open hearing. He continues to say, oh, it's an interagency process, you know. Uh, th- these law enforcement officials, the FBI Department of Justice, have insulated themselves from scrutiny. They set up all the procedures so that we can't investigate them, and that continues.
1: So that was uh, Ron Johnson. Uh, these are some great things. I, I just wish, and I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but if, you, if you're if you in the Judiciary Committee, have a staffer just pull some of the key clips of what the FBI did and some of the comments from the former employees now at Twitter. And I want one question. And just say, listen, you, this FBI was leaning on this person. He has nine followers. He's clearly an American. Why were you trying to pull down his posting that is pro-Trump? What were you thinking? Foreign influence for Trump? Look at this guy's location. Don't you have a background check ability? You can raid a, a resort. I'm sure you could raid a, a small suburban home to find out if this follower was really a Russian agent, a North Korean uh, an, uh, an agent, officer. Uh, I, I just hope they're more prepared. I don't want to hear them rant. I want them to have legitimate questions. Uh, I don't know if that's too much to ask. Uh, meanwhile, the latest news is uh, we did have Zelensky sit down with the president of the United States. His president basically said, eventually you're going to be in the, uh, in, in NATO. You'll be one of us. Uh, just now is not the right time. Plus, it's against the NATO doctrine. You can't put a, t- a country in an active war into NATO. So it's not even their ability to vote on What Zelensky wanted was a blueprint of how to get in. And One is win the war. Uh, Number two is people, everybody else got to give some ammo. And there should be Republicans on armed services, Senate and House, that stand up and say we need a way to ramp up production on everything that we're giving away and selling in order to be more prepared for the next challenge that we have. Who would not be as in support of that? Who? Nobody. When we come back, uh, Martha McCallum be with us. We'll continue to uh, bring in more cuts from Christopher's testimony. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
3: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
4: I'm sitting here with my father. I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Sounds like a shakedown, doesn't it, Director? I'm not going to get into
0: commenting on that.
4: You, you, you seem deeply uncurious about it, don't you? Almost suspiciously uncurious. Are you protecting the Bidens? Ac- absolutely
0: not. The FBI well, does not answer the que- no oh, hold interest on. in You won't protecting answer the question about whether or not it.
4: that's a shakedown, and everybody knows why you won't answer it. Because to, ev- to the millions of people who will see this, they know it is. And your inability to acknowledge that is deeply revealing about you.
1: So that's a little of the exchange with Matt Gaetz, Martha McCallum in studio, getting sent to host her show at 3 o'clock, the story. Uh, Martha, so far uh, I've been doing this show at the same time I see you on television, so I know we can't sit here and just listen to every word. But what do you take so far from Christopher Ray's testimony?
10: Well, I, you know, I think he came in expecting the fire that he is getting from certainly from the Republican side of the aisle here. I I think, you know, in his opening comments, he he talks a lot about the – all the good work that the thousands of members of the FBI do every day. And I think as Americans, we understand that, but we expect that, that that's the base level. We expect that that kind of work is happening. The problem is that when you see, and and it's very simple, I think, for people to see when they look at the treatment of President Trump and Crossfire Hurricane, and what we now know was no evidence in order to push forward an investigation, and they work to fabricate evidence in order to keep that going. Then on the other side of the equation, they see what happened with Hunter Biden, and they hear that there was actually evidence from these whistleblowers, but that it got back-burnered. There's only one way to look at that, and that is that it's engineered by individuals at the FBI in terms of the way they responded to one president and the way they responded to another. So you can do amazing work every single day. You can be busting 20,000 people, I think he said, over the course of the year, but if you are treating the highest elected officials in the country in such a disparate way, that's why they have a 30-something percent approval rating.
1: Oh, How about this? The 2020 election, what uh, Matt Taibbi and what Barry Weiss and what Michael Schellenberger and maybe a couple other reporters were given access to, thanks to Elon Musk, was the Twitter files. And they reveal it wasn't foreign agents you were going after solely. You were going after people that were pro-Trump that... You, they need to come out and just look, read Taibbi's column, read some of his tweets, and say, "How do you feel about your FBI agents calling, contacting Twitter? We know exactly the executive and saying we need this taken down. How do you feel about the amount Absolutely. of money spent just to Twitter, let alone Facebook? And Zuckerberg has not opened up his books yet because I guess he has something to hide. But he was briefed by." the FBI about a would-be thing that could be coming down the pike that look exactly like Hunter Biden's laptop.
10: That's exactly right. And, and it is incumbent upon the staff members and these elected officials who are grilling Christopher Ray to show them exactly those examples and say, what about this? What about that? How is this okay? And why is this not worth investigating? We, we heard it before, as we were coming in here, a little bit of, I, I believe it was Matt Gaetz, um, questioning on the shakedown. That was Matt Gates the shakedown uh, discussion that we've all seen. My dad is sitting right next to me. You need to send me this money right now. This to a Chinese official at an energy company connected to the communist government in China. And, you know, he he basically begged off on it, said that's an ongoing investigation. I can't discuss it.
1: I wish it was ongoing. I don't think they're doing any investigation. Well, that's what they say
10: now, right? So Weiss came out three times this week, basically, this week and last week, and said, you know, and tried to undercut the whistleblower. And said, no, I wasn't impeded in my investigation. I could have opened one in Los Angeles or D.C. And I, I could have you know, taken on special counsel responsibilities. But I didn't ask for either one of those things. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, it, it's then he then he also said the other investigation is ongoing, which, you know, in some ways protects them. Because he gets to say this week in this testimony that he can't talk about it.
1: Right. Uh, so we'll see what he has to say about it, because he'd had this job since 2017. His fingerprints were all over the last election. Anything good or bad, it's under his auspices. You can't even punt to uh, to Comey because uh, Comey's long gone. In terms of straightening things out, I don't really think that anybody feels better about it. And because he never acknowledged an outrage. For example, if this stuff happened in 2016— what is wrong with expressing outrage at Peter Strzok's comments and Lisa, Page, Lisa Page's behavior and James Comey doing things? Yeah, I'm very disappointed in that that wouldn't be happening under me and that my goal is to clean this up, make people prideful again. But you have somebody who is a political, he seems more political than law enforcement. Now, I know Chris Christie is the one to recommend him to President Trump. So President Trump put him there and almost immediately has been dissatisfied with him.
10: Yeah, I, I mean, I, and for the most part, Bill Barr stood by Christopher Ray as well when they worked together. Um, I think one of the issues is, and this is just sort of on a personal level, I think that he sees himself as the defender of the FBI rather than a servant of the American people yeah. whose responsibility it is to call out disparities in treatment when he sees them. And I think it would go a long way for certain people to be fired from the FBI because of their involvement in some of these in some of these things and to, to show people that you're serious about the things that you say you want to uphold at the FBI.
1: And the main thing is, too, if you want a specific question, number one, if you are a lawmaker, show up with a quote. Show up with a no, tweet. Absolutely right, Brian. Tell me specifically.
10: This I mean, we is we do tweet. this every day. <laughs> yeah, you know the, we have full screens. We put things on the screen. We know how to make an argument. How to you know hold people's feet to the fire on things, and you know it would be great to see some. More they of got that. bigger
1: staffs than you have. Yeah. So you don't even have to do it. Just show up and just read the card, and just mm-hmm. say, "I need you to answer this question." But guys like Matt Gates, whatever you want to say about him, he is prepared for this. Mm-hmm. So uh, having at least that was specific. The thing is about the laptop in the dorm report, it showed that in 2019, the FBI knew for sure it was real. So having said that, it was real, uh, Christopher, right? When were you informed of it? You weren't. So if you weren't, then you're the king of England. That means no one really tells you you should be outraged. Number two, you were. Did you tell William Barr? What did William Barr say? Did William tell the president? Because President Trump, you know, if he knew there was a laptop out there, Rudy Giuliani would not have gotten the hard drive delivered to him and the New York Post wouldn't have had it delivered. It would have been coming out a lot sooner.
10: Yeah. No, that is exactly the kind of pointed question that he should be asked. When – tell us when you were aware that this laptop was credible, that it did actually belong to Hunter Biden because they let that go all the way through the election. And also, if that was the case, if your individual, so either – as you say, Brian, either you're, you know, not being informed about what's going on in your own department in an extremely high level election season moment, um, or you were aware of it and you didn't take any action. And what about when the fifty plus Intel former Intel officials signed that letter saying that it, it smacked a whole lot of of Russian disinformation? Did you make sure that they were all aware before they signed that letter? That you did substantiate that it belonged to Hunter Biden, and that those emails that Tony Bobulinski said swore up and down were <laughs> real emails that they were all sending to each other. Did you let all those individuals know that, or did you just keep mum and why
1: and you know one of his answers might be it was so close to the election. I saw that it's gonna have a huge impact, and I intentionally kept it quiet, but know it's unacceptable uh I don't know, or was an ongoing investigation? And I, I texted William Barr. He did not answer me By Bill Barr did not answer me back. But as soon as this came out, I said, did you know about this laptop? Because mm-hmm. I'm curious, did he not tell Trump? At that point, he's been he was Trump's best defender bar, bar none. I think he's one of the MVPs of the administration. What he did is land that plane with the Mueller report on down and go to bat for the president, gave him a real uh, gave, gave a sense of justice and justice. So I can't imagine him keeping it from the president. Can you?
10: No, I I, I can't. So that means
1: Ray had to keep it to himself.
10: Yeah, and you can't have it both ways. So if Ray was aware of it and he didn't stop that letter by those 51 in, former Intel officials and say, look, you guys need to have the whole picture here before you come forward with this letter. So you can't sort of say it's an election period, so I'm not going to say anything and then allow something like that to happen. You'd have to even the playing field and make sure they know.
3: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade show. the The idea that you take information
4: and you have it taken down, use your authority and the, the leverage you have to have Meta, Google, uh, Facebook, or uh, Facebook being Meta or uh, Twitter take down people's information uh, on things like where where COVID came from. Where do you find the national security interest in that? Where where do you find the interest in free speech of American citizens being taken down? And I repeat, free speech of American citizens. Where where do you have that authority?
0: So we don't uh, ask social media companies uh, to censor information or suppress information uh, when it comes to national security threats, certainly. Uh, so what we do do is alert them when some other intelligence agency gives us information about a foreign intelligence service being behind some account, we will call social media companies' attention to that. But at the end of the day, we're very clear that it's up to the social media companies to decide whether to do something about it.
1: So that's a lie. Uh, that is yeah. not true. <laughs> no,
10: that's uh, Martha not true. McCallum
1: here. show starts at 3 o'clock today. Uh, we're just watching some of the hearings right now, real-time Christopher Ray. Uh, trying to justify some of the outrageous behavior during revealed from the Twitter files, thanks to Elon Musk, which uh, and then also the Durham report, thanks to a four-year investigation paid for by you, and now he's talking about when he can. How great his agency is. We know most people there are doing a great job, but that's why you're hired. That's a background check you went through, the training that you're paid for by taxpayers. When you do your job, great. We appreciate it. But that's not how I would open up these remarks, Martha. I would have said, here's the thing about the Durham report that bothers me. This is what we're doing. When the Twitter files was revealed, this was my biggest surprise. And when such insight, when I find out that, 33 percent of the American people believe the FBI is honest with great integrity. That really concerns me. So something like that. But don't just tell me I did a great job. The A's I got in college.
10: Right. I mean, when you have that kind of approval number, you have to accept the fact that something has gone badly awry because Americans need to have confidence in the Department of Justice, in the FBI under it and those numbers reveal that they really don't. So I would love to see rather than this defensive posture which we saw since he walked in and I understand mm-hmm. that he has, you know, a lot of great FBI agents and we're all thankful for them, but there have been glaring glaring issues including this Twitter situation and these almost weekly meetings that were happening between White House officials and officials at Twitter asking them specifically, "Hey, we need you to look into this post, that post, we need you to take these down." That kind and now right. this new new bill is going to try to prevent that from being legal, from ever happening.
1: We're going to pull some more cuts as they come out, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, President Biden overseas. Last night, he skipped dinner with his NATO allies, said he felt a little tired after four days of work. Problem is, I don't even think he worked four days. One was travel, one was on the beach, uh, and then he had a day of meetings, and then he walked around and wandered around with the king. And here's what Marco Rubio said about what he's seen so far, cut five.
5: Imagine right now if you are a Communist Party of China leader sitting in Beijing because you read and you watch the press. You see all of these things. So here's what you've seen over the weekend. Cocaine was found at the White House. Then the president, you know, had this fight with a with a beach chair uh, over there. And he just looked like he could barely move. Then he goes to London and embarrasses himself. Uh, And then the report tonight. And you add to that all the other things that have happened.
1: So he goes on. And, And what's your impression of what you've seen so far?
10: Well, you know, I I heard um, on Morning Joe this morning, they were talking about how um, the president blaming his staff. Somebody needs to prevent these things from happening. Someone needs to make sure that he doesn't trip over a sandbag, I think was the phrase. This is if this was a one off, you know, an occasional. Yes. You know, people get jet lagged when they go overseas and, and maybe he is older, obviously, and maybe he needed to catch up on his sleep. There's no staff member that can fix these issues because these happen every few days right the cocaine issue is easy from a from a pr perspective from a communications perspective we will find out who this belongs to and we will make sure they're prosecuted this is an illegal drug in the white house that could have even contained fentanyl on it for all we know and we will get to the bottom of this and then back it up with evidence from that investigation and make sure that you do it when it comes to wandering around at these meetings It's very disconcerting and it's glaring, glaringly obvious that the president often doesn't know which direction he's going in. This is very unsettling to Americans. It's very unsettling to Democrats who I think would love to have another alternative. The problem is when you've got you know, inflation dropping, you've got a number of other measures that are going to have them say, and, you know, new polls also that show him beating Trump and DeSantis. Uh, It's going to be a very tough argument for Democrats to come up with why they should change gears. I
1: did see that the latest poll, Trump up by one, but state by state, and then you had DeSantis down by five all of a sudden. So the morning consult poll, uh, one of which is pretty clear, too, that uh, in 2024, Uh, It looks like Vivek Ramaswamy is the only one really on the march up. Yes. So you have
10: about 8%, I think.
1: Trump with 56, DeSantis with 17, Vivek with 8, Pence with 7, and then you have Haley, Christie, and Scott at 3. They seem frozen. Yeah, they do. It seems frozen. Is it because it's July?
10: I think so. Um, I I think you will see movement after Labor Day. I think you're going to see movement after the first debate that Brett and I moderate on August 23rd in Milwaukee. Um, One of the things that these that both we know that the American people are not really excited about seeing Biden and Trump match up again, 60 and 70 percent say they want to see someone else. Right. They both have an option. And it's trickier for Biden than it is for Trump. If they need if they, they really need a great vice presidential candidate to inject some enthusiasm into this. I thought it was very interesting. Ron DeSantis was asked again. He said, you know, his answer was, you know, would you be number two? He said, "I'm not a I'm not a number two kind of guy, right?" But he said, "I don't I don't think so." Was the first thing he said. I don't think so. I'm not a number two kind of guy. You know, this is a one. If Trump were to win again, it's a one term presidency. Um, I I think there's going to be some very creative thinking, or there should be, around the the second person in these equations, because I think that could make the difference in the 2024 election. So
1: on top of that, I read in the Washington times today that George is getting closed sometime in the next three weeks to decide the grand jury has it, whether right. there's enough there to prosecute. And then you have the January 6th, which is Jack Smith going full steam ahead, uh, just storming through anyone who thinks they're not going to be two more indictments, I think hasn't been paying attention. So when that happens, some people said if the heat gets too much, that's the only thing that could bring Trump back to earth. If people just start saying four indictments, it's impossible to beat. And people fearing another four years of this could destroy the country, green an economy that can't be greened, and just destroy an, a, a military that can't recruit people. Might that just shake this thing up?
10: To me, that just smacks of the kind of thing that we've heard for years when it comes to the former president, Donald Trump. Uh, we know that the first two indictments fueled his numbers. They did not hurt him at all. So I don't know that two more, and I, and I expect you're right. I think everyone should basically assume that that's what's going to happen, whether they will have a negative impact on him, I think I think is unlikely. I'd put that in the unlikely category.
1: That it will have a negative effect. If, if it That it does, will have a
10: negative effect. If
1: he feels as though a conviction is coming and these and these trials will take place, does he walk up to a candidate and say... Uh, let's do a deal here?
10: You know what? I and Another thing I've maintained since this ball started rolling is that these trials will not happen before the election. And we're seeing that in motion. His attorneys every single day wake up and figure out The legitimate reasons why this should be delayed. And one of them is what you're hearing from, you know, the FBI, which is, well, it's getting too close to an election. So once you get into that window, can you have a trial of a current presidential candidate and former president prior to an election? I think they're going to have legs to stand on legally on that. And I think you're just going to see delay, 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 delay.
1: Trump's attorneys are asking for a delay to federal trial uh, citing the 2024 election. But the one thing is probably going to happen is the New York trial is supposed to happen in February. But
10: that's the most inconsequential of all of them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. But that also could go the other way. If it ends up being not worth the paper it was printed on and he ends up walking right. away with a win there. fall apart. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yep. And Jack Smith doesn't have the best track record, period, even though a lot of this stuff might be somewhat self-inflicted. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens. I'm I'm really surprised this is happening. The other thing I'm I'm surprised about is. The amount of hits Joe Biden's taking legitimate, but he never got hit before like this between the ad, the Axios story that could have been written in any day, his volcanic temper behind the scenes. You know what, Nobody wants <laughs> to see him one on one. They yeah. don't want to get yelled at.
10: This is actually a very interesting to me. This is the, actually the second round of this storyline right after he was um, right after he became president, I'd say several months later, the New York Times wrote a front page piece about his temper, his volatile temper. But the tone of it was he's so angry if you don't come to him with all your facts in order he's going to go through he's going to figure out what you missed and he's going to grill you on it in his office right it was an attempt to make him look tough and detail oriented part of that is in this story as well um but it feels like the other side of it which is that he's you know it's sort of like a is he a crazy old man or is he a stickler for details and is he a tough boss
1: right well so when we come back we're going to find out there's more to know and exclusively we'll find out who's going to be on your show Right. right, which also gives you some time to find out exactly who's on your show.
10: Well, it's always moving. We're always, we're always bringing moving in target. new people. So, um, and we're watching all of this this morning uh, live on Capitol Hill as well. Andy Biggs got just got lineup. done.
1: Yeah, Andy Biggs just got done with uh, his questioning and was pretty direct. Uh, he looks exasperated. So, we'll bring you some of that. Not Eric Swalwell, which tends to be comical. Uh, when we come back, more Martha McCallum. We'll find out if indeed we need to know more.
3: Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Hey, welcome back, Brian Kilmeade Joe, Just wanted to go over some of these numbers. Um, New poll numbers from NBC shows Biden with a huge lead over Trump in the general. I mean, this is just extraordinary. So I've been meaning to do this for a long time. And I just want to say, I think I have the best chance to beat Joe Biden in 2024. So today for my radio audience, I'm announcing my candidacy for the 2024 presidential race. I'm just kidding. This is an AI generated voice. Back to you, real Brian. Do you have anything to announce? Also, hi, Martha. How unbelievable wow, is that? Wow, I thought That's that was you I...
10: talking to me. Did it sound I like me? I thought you had recorded it earlier. <laughs> it was, that was from AI. That is so crazy.
1: How crazy is that? That's the first time I'm hearing oh, that. Oh, my God. So, by the way, I'm not declaring my presidency. There's no, by the way, there's no poll that shows Trump getting crushed by Joe Biden. It's one or two points or whatever you see. But how unbelievable. I mean, that's kind of a scary thing.
10: It's not funny at all. Actually, there's absolutely nothing funny about it because you talk about, you know, I think we're going to look back at some of what they're talking about on the Hill today about disinformation and people putting things on Twitter. That's going to seem like, you know, like the Pony Express compared to what's coming in terms of the ability to misinform people and to. I feel often now when I see things, you know, you'll see some crazy video or something pop up online and you're like, that is so wild. And then my my first thought now is, is it real? It's probably not real.
1: Right. And do you even recommend to see it, let alone put it on television or radio? Um, Also, I want you to play a clip from something that really did just happen. And this is, uh, this is Congressman, who was asking the question, Eric? Okay. Congressman, uh, this is uh, Chairman Jordan asking about the catholics being spied on by the fbi
7: director what's the difference between a traditional catholic and a radical traditional catholic
0: uh, i'm not a, an expert on the, the catholic uh, orders Well,
7: your FBI wrote a memo talking about
0: radical traditional Catholics.
7: I'm just wondering if you can define it for us.
0: Well, what I can tell you is you're referring to the Richmond product, which was a single product by a single field office, which as soon as I found out about it, I was aghast and ordered it withdrawn and removed from FBI systems. You were aghast. And why won't you let us
7: talk to the people who put it together?
0: We are working on finishing an internal review into what happened We have there. to wait.
7: The, we, the Congress, and the American people have to wait until you do an internal
0: review. It's not a criminal investigation going on here. An internal review before we can talk to the people who wrote this? We, When we finish our internal review, which will be very soon, we will come, come back you before the committee and to provide a briefing on what we found.
1: Your thoughts, Martha?
10: Well, you know, I mean, I, I'm not sure... Why this would take so long? Why this person is even still there? I mean, just you know, substitute a few other religions for what was in this document. Basically, saying that people who you know that these people go to Latin Mass, which has become increasingly the, popular yeah. actually because people enjoy it and they like the traditionalism of, of it, um, and that people who are anti-Vatican too are radical, conservative Catholics who can be dangerous is is so offensive. And I'll just say it again. I mean, substitute a few other religions into this story and imagine what the backlash would be.
1: You know, it's interesting on on a tangential note. Isn't it interesting how much, how many times Christian Jews and Muslims seem to be combining or some of the outrageous things that are happening with these gender studies, gender fluid, yes, all absolutely. this gender stuff They're just combining against this. And now there's a fear among Democrats that Republicans are starting to have Muslims come into their court. Was there a fear? You, they're being pushed there, not even though they belong to either either party. You no,
10: know, I think it's such a fascinating point because you remember that town hall meeting. I think it was in Michigan, I want to say, where you know there were traditional Muslims lined up in the front row And it was all about, you know, Pride Month and gender inclusion. And then these, you know, two women kissed in front of everybody in the middle of this courtroom. And it's interesting because it's the idea of traditional, faithful religious groups in this country who are now who are bonding over the fact that everything else just feels so crazy. And they're they're so ridiculed for being for having a traditional faith background, which I find Mm. really so antithetical to the formation of this country. And
1: now who's going to be on your show?
10: So we're going to talk to Robert O'Brien and Ari Fleischer about this very interesting exchange between Zelensky and Biden. There's also some video of them earlier today, which I actually saw on your show this morning, Brian, that I thought was very interesting. We're going to break down what's going on here with regard to where they stand on NATO. You've got a A pretty sharp divide, I think, between Rishi Sunak, who says they should be in, and Joe Biden, who says uh, they're going to have to wait. So we're going to talk to them about that. Tom Shalhoub is on the show. Bill Hammer's on the show on 2024. So we've got a great lineup today.
1: Let's find out if there's even more to know.
10: Okay. More to
1: know.
3: Invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. The older it gets, the better it gets. And the more valuable it gets. Go to caskdeeds.com. That's caskdeeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation.
1: Go ahead, Martha.
10: So a decade ago, ESPN had more than 90 million subscribers. The number's now closer to 75 million. And even though ESPN has been able to get $8 a month, which is the highest of any channel, uh, they say that era is ending. So what's going on with this, Brian? There's
1: 7,000 people have been let go over the last few months, That's including right. their biggest names. The cord cutting, yes, and bad investments to Disney Plus and things. I think they're sucking the life out of ESPN, but I think the cord cutting is something a dexterous company has got to be ready for, because if you have the product like Fox News or ESPN, people will
10: seek it out. That's right.
1: I hope. We hope. Next, America's the shark capital of the world, with 72% of the world's total, but which state has the most? Last year, the country saw 41 of 57 confirmed cases wide, a shocking 72% uh, in our country. Florida is by far the shark capital of the world, 16 unprovoked attacks, unprovoked. It was not our fault. We were just swimming. <laughs> didn't go after the right. shark. I didn't go out there looking for a shark attack. Your there's thoughts? a
10: lot more sharks. I thought you were going to say Massachusetts, where I spend a lot of time. And um, we have great white sharks off the coast of Cape Cod all the time. They're out there every day, hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, and the swimmers are, you know, just a few miles, a few hundred yards offshore.
1: You know how to solve this problem? How? Killer whales. Get uh, killer yes. whales because they'll get kill killer sharks. Whales
10: because the problem is that there's too many seals. Right. Right.
1: So what should we do?
10: Their whole food popular. There's 50,000 seals that live off the coast of, of Cape Cod right if now. If you
1: see two seals that look like they might procreate, break <laughs> them up. That's the only thing as a country. Can we do that?
10: <laughs> Tell them they're too young. Right. They're too young.
1: <laughs> Tell them that you know, just distract I them know. with a big wave. No, we're in
10: a different, we're in a whole different environment in the ocean.
1: You know what this m- music means?
10: I think it means it's time to say goodbye.
1: Sad. Are you sad, well enough? Are you crying? Sad.
10: So
5: sad. Can I come <laughs> back next Wednesday? Yes, you can. Thank Martha you, McCallum,
1: thanks so much.